1: Once you take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, is our passage. We're going to go back a couple years to a message I shared some time ago as we talk about freedom to love others. Here in America, we enjoy a freedom that is the envy of the world, do we not? Now, understand that for many today, there may be an argument about that, whether with that statement, complaining that many in America are not experiencing the freedom that others experience. And that may be true. However, in relation to the other nations of the world, the United States stands head and shoulders to the shed and shoulders above all others when it comes to liberty and freedom. Our national anthem declares boldly that we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. And we cherish those freedoms, and most of our political, religious, and cultural wars are waged in the name of securing or maintaining our freedoms and liberties as we see them. But we also must realize that our freedom does not come free and does not come cheap. Real blood, sweat, and tears have been shed To secure and retain those freedoms, lives have been lost, capital has been spent, and sacrifices have been made so that you and I may enjoy the freedom that we experience today. Freedom comes with responsibility and obligations. That is one thing that we need to understand. It is one thing that we must pass from one generation to the next is that freedom comes at a great high cost and we must be willing to pay that cost. We must never forget that. We must remember that we all have a part in the ongoing experiment of the republic American republic and its democratic principles that all men speaking and also of all women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But I also want to share with you this morning as we celebrate our country this weekend and the upcoming July 4th, that there is a greater freedom than American freedom. There is something greater than just the liberties that we experience. There is something greater and something much better. And I want to share with you this morning a greater freedom than that of personal liberty. A freedom that is more satisfying than the pursuit of happiness. And a freedom that truly gives life. This is a freedom that comes from the amazing gift from that creator to his children. A freedom that is not secured by the blood, sweat, and tears of human sacrifice, but by the blood and sweat and tears of the precious lamb of God, Jesus Christ. A freedom that cannot be lost in an election, surrendered by a court order, or dissolved by an act of Congress. This freedom comes not from human will and exertion, but from the will of the Father. The freedom that comes from the wonderful news of the gospel and its life-changing message. That's the freedom that I want to share with you this morning. Today, our passage in Galatians, We had studied that book some time ago, and if you'd like to get that series, you can go to our website and you can listen to all those messages. But up to this point, as we're getting into Galatians 5, just to give you a a matter of view of what that letter is doing, Paul has been defending the gospel of Christ. That is that there is only one way one person or a person is made right with God and becomes part of the family of God, and that is by grace through faith. Paul had warned the Galatians not to accept any other gospel than the one that is presented and that anyone who teaches another gospel is accursed. We saw something similar to this in 2 Peter. As you recall, some of the Galatians had been seduced by the Judaizers who taught that one must be circumcised and observe the Mosaic law to be part of the family of God. To Paul, this teaching was dangerous because observing the law saved no one. The law had no power to save. Its purpose was not to save a person, but to point out a man's need of a savior. To obey the Mosaic law would never bring salvation. It would only show how short you come to the glory of God. It was to point to a man's need of a savior. It was needed as a guardian until the Savior, the offspring of Abraham, arrived. That was promised in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. And by the way, that was promised well, hundreds of years before in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Paul proclaims that Jesus is the offspring, is the Son of Promise, that is the Savior of the world. Yes, the law is perfect. And it contains the word of God. And when we talk about the Mosaic law, the commandment, the law, we're speaking of the Ten Commandments. But it has served its purpose. Paul quoted in the law, or quoted that the law in writing, that the righteous shall live by faith. To demand that one observe part of the law is to be accounted to be observed all of the law. For it requires no one, or serve all that the law requires, which no one other than Jesus Christ could ever do. To continue to live according to the law was to curse one to death. Now, I want to just say as a moment, just as editorial note, to have a list of rules to live by seems to you and I to be much easier, is it not? You know, here's the things that you need to do, be right with God. You know, can we get those down to 10? That would be great. But the problem is to do those 10 things would never save you. You could do those 10 things perfectly, but still fail. For to fail in one part of the law is to fail in all. And then Jesus made it harder. It wasn't just, just do those things. To not just not commit adultery was enough. For if you look at a woman, Jesus said, you've committed adultery in your heart. So now it's not just the actions you do, it's what you think and it's your attitude. So which one of us would ever pass that test? Just with those 10. Let's not count the other 696 laws that there were. And I don't know if that was the exact number, but somewhere around there. Could you imagine getting up and just following those types of laws? That's like living with OSHA and all the things you have to do just to make a hamburger. I mean, it's just, you just can't do it. You're going to fail in some way. Don't do a lemonade stand. Don't pass out water somewhere because someone is going to get you. But instead of inquiring everyone to live by the law, Christ has come to set man free from the law by his perfect obedience. Now that's an amen. So I'm going to give you that once again and give you an opportunity because instead of acquiring everyone to live by the law, Christ has come to set man free from the law by his perfect obedience. All right, you can be a Baptist or a Pentecostal for one service. In his death, Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God by bearing the penalty of our sin. That's the essence of a gospel, and it's worth defending. That's the only reason you should get up on a Sunday morning and come here because, it's because of that truth. Anything else is not worth getting out of bed or skipping a nap. <laughs> Except for brownies with fudge and walnuts. And I don't know if any of you brought that for, the, for, uh, for later, but that God will give you a blessing on that. But as we come to this passage in Galatians, as we look at going up to chapter 5, Paul is encouraging the Christians at Galatia to live out the freedom that's found in the gospel. In other words, they were not living within the freedom of the gospel. They were enslaving themselves back to change. Could you imagine that? once being a slave to something, maybe physical, and then being set free only to go back and say, put me back in prison. Or put those chains because I'm much more comfortable in that. Well, that's what Paul's describing here as Christians, is we tend to go back to these rules and regulations. And I can understand because they're comforting. We we give us a list and I know what to do. You know, that's why we like those to-do lists, right? Because I know that I've accomplished something today. And maybe sometimes the only thing you've accomplished is by checking off boxes. And you look at the line of items and they really haven't produced anything. But at least you got something done. But the gospel declares that you and I have been set free from the burden of trying to produce your own righteousness, your own good works, in order to be made right with God and to be accepted. You no longer have to work for it. Christ has done that. In chapter 5, if you're there, look at verse 1. Paul writes, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, in what? In that freedom, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. But he also warns here, and this is where we're coming to the meat of our message, is that he warns that with freedom comes great responsibility, expectations, and obligations. And that's where we are in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13, you can see it in your Bible. We're on the monitor here. Paul writes to the church of Galatia that you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for what? The flesh. But through love, want to finish that with me? Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the freedom that's found in Christ. I thank you for the freedom and the liberties that we experience here in the United States, a country unlike any other. But Father, as we fight for our own liberties, let us also fight for the freedom and liberty that's found through your son. Open up our minds and hearts. Let us uh, struggle here with our own selves as your spirit exposes the sin, the ways that we do not love each other, the ways in which we still rely on rules and regulations to make us happy. Lord, just help us to respond to your word in a way that is pleasing you. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to give you four observations. The first one, as we go through this verse, is in the first part of verse 13. Paul reminds them of their calling. Paul reminds them of their calling. Look, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. And I think many times Christians forget about their calling. They go to work, they get up, they go, and they forget that they're Christians, that they are those that were chosen by God. We go to our movies, our entertainments, we go to spend our money, and we forget our calling. But so he reminds them he's writing about the freedom from the law and attempting to be made right with God on our own terms through obedience and good works. Peter is reminding them once again that they have been released from the burden of producing their own righteousness. And I share this with you because there's some that are still struggling with shame and guilt because even this week you have found yourself in sin. And you fail. There's a temptation that you succumb to. There's a testing that you lost. There's a way in which you chose your own way. And even today, there's shame and guilt. And let me share with you remember your calling. Remember the grace of God. That shame and guilt is not the liberty that God has given you. You must remember that He has forgiven you of all your sins. That is the gospel. Christ has done what God required. God required for you to be perfect. We could not do that. So Christ came to be perfect for us. I want to remind you once again, is many times the reason why you and I are still carrying guilt and shame in our life and our struggle with sin and our failure to please God is because we believe that we still must please God by doing all these things. And we fail. But you must remember that God is a wonderful God, a creator, the almighty God, as the gospel primer tells us. One who has created us that we may look upon him and that he would be the supreme object of our admiration. That is God's calling for us. But yet we know that we have failed him in such a way. But God has called us to himself and says, I have chosen you that you may be perfect, that you may be like my son. And in there, God has given us through his grace, not because we deserved it, but because he loved us. And being rich in mercy, he saved us according to his word. And so Christ came to solve a problem that you and I could not. And what we are to do is not to earn Christ's forgiveness. We're not to try to buy it. We cannot get it by our heritage. We cannot get it by fulfilling some type of duty of being here or giving a certain amount of money but it's just in responding in trust. And many of you have made that profession of faith. As we took communion here, that was again a means of grace where we're reminding ourselves what Christ has done for us. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're still carrying some burden, let that burden go, for Christ has carried that and died for you. So Paul reminds them of their calling. Do not go back to trying to please God by your works. For you and I will fail each and every time, if not into the letter of the law, but in the spirit of the law, we fail. So not only does Paul remind them of their calling, but the second observation is what we call a precept. And you see that as we continue in verse 13, as Paul gives them a precept. Now, a precept is a law. It is a command. And in this one, he says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh. In other words, now that you've been saved by grace, that does not now mean that since you do not have to please God by fulfilling the law, by doing the requirements of the law, that you can live any way that you want. He says, instead, you're to serve one another with love. So love and serve, or, or through love, serve one another. That is what he's called us to do. Do not use this as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, a precept, again, is a law, is a command of God. He's telling us something that freedom Requires. It is an obligation as a child of God. As a child of a parent, you and I have family obligations. We have duties and responsibilities. As a citizen of the United States or someone who may drive and vote, you have obligations and duties and responsibilities. I get the joy of enduring that this last week and this week in jury duty. And this is how I'm spending my parts of last week and this week. Why? Because it's part of what we're called to do. So in the same way, here's a precept. Here is something you need to do. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity to flesh, but through love, serve one another. One of the most popular political and social philosophies growing today is that of libertarianism. A libertarian is a person who believes that people should be allowed to do and say what they want without any interference from the government. Okay that sounds good. I think I would sign up for a lot of that. I think most of us would like less government in our lives and according to the website of the Libertarian Party they say that they are America's third largest political party. It was founded in 1971 and their vision is for a world in which all individuals can freely exercise the natural right of sole dominion over their own lives liberty and property. Now Man, at first glance and first hearing, that sounds pretty good. I think most of us want something of that nature. You know, stay off my lawn. Leave me alone. Let me enjoy my life. Let me make my own decisions. We love freedom. We desire it immensely. Even as children and teenagers, we begin to seek out our freedom at a very young age. Our first parents, though, Adam and Eve, also sought their own freedom and independence with devastating and eternal consequences. Most likely Paul is writing here to warn those that might react to Paul's teaching on grace. Some might be tempted to move from legalism. Here's a list of things I am to do to an opposite, which is the danger of libertarianism, in which I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. God gives me grace. I can live any way I want. I could, I could sin. I can do this. And God's grace will always be there for me. Libertarianism is a lifestyle or a pattern of behavior that's characterized by self-indulgence and a lack of restraint, especially involving sexual promiscuity and rejection of religious or moral authority. And as I said that, you probably think, as I did, that this seems to be the spirit of the age today. But it's the spirit that's been in the Bible at least since Adam and Eve. Judges says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, yeah. Peter is answering the question, is does justification being made right by God by grace through faith? Does that lead to a lawlessness or a way in which I could say, well, God has the Ten Commandments, but I don't need to do them. I can live my life any way that I want. Now in Romans, he answers that. Should I sin more that grace may abound more? What was God's or Paul's answer? God forbid. No, of course not. We make it like cheap grace. We make make freedom our excuse for sinning. We say, well, I don't need to obey the law anymore. Let's unhinge it. It It has no play in life anymore. Or we may think, since Jesus died for my sin, I don't have to worry about how I live. Pastor Rob said, if I have some shame and guilt, just give it up to God so I can do more tomorrow. You might think I have liberty to live any way I want since God gives me more grace. And no matter what I do, some would say, God will forgive me and I'll still get into heaven. See, that's all you really want. You said a prayer when you were little, maybe VBS, Sunday school, junior church. And you have it right there. You have a a fire insurance card, get out of hell card free. A free get out of hell card. Something like that. You say, I live anyway. I said a prayer when I was young. It doesn't matter how I live my life. There are many, there are millions of Christians, or should I say professing Christians, who would say that. Here's a warning. Jesus said to those, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and heal and do all these things in your name? And what did Jesus say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The warning is those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The opportunity of the flesh says refers to our natural desires, those things that we want to do, even as Christians, our flesh still desires to rule over us, does it not? However, you and I are freed from being ruled by our passions. That's the battle and the struggle you have each and every day. As soon as you wake up, maybe even in your own dream life, you're struggling with that. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, 13 through 15. It's here on the monitor, I believe. Paul writes this, and you who were dead in your trespasses, who is that? That's us. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses. And who's the trespass? We've trespassed against God. We've gotten onto his turf without permission. We've tried to be God. He did this by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and they put, them up, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. You and I were enslaved by natural desires, but now we are made free. Yet as we see in Romans, the flesh still lingers seeking control. Don't let freedom become the platform for your sin. Tom Schreiner wrote that freedom from law does not mean that you and I are freed from moral obligations. For the Bible, God's word is still true. Life in the spirit expresses itself in service to others. That's why he says, not for opportunity of flesh, but through love serve one another. You and I are not set free from our sin to fulfill our own selfish desires or the selfish desires of others, our spouses, our children, our employers, the government, etc., but we're to serve others in our love. This is a drastic change of motivation and purpose. Instead of everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, the gospel, the freedom that comes from Christ, helps us to seek out the good of others. True freedom is expressed in love. And that's where I want us to consider this morning as you and I are now free from our selfish desires and our pursuits. I believe that's the spirit of the age that has been passed down from Adam and Eve is a selfish desire to satisfy ourselves. Years ago, I did a message series that said we need to get rid of the American dream. You and I should not be living the American dream. Our mantra is not life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness at the expense of others. But we are free in this country to pursue loving others. Now Paul gives him in verse 14 the why. And this is so great. Because God never gives us a precept, a law, a command without telling us why he gives it. Look at verse uh, 14. Paul gives him the principle, the why. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is very important. This is part of the great uh, commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not covet. That's part of loving each other. It tells us how we love one another. Love is something that everyone applauds and promises or, or promotes. They make statements like, my idea of freedom, is the privilege of doing what you want, as long as it doesn't harm someone else. Or someone might say, to me, it's the ability to make choices guided by the law of the golden rule. And what's the golden rule? Do unto others what you would have them do to yourself. Or you might have some as do unto others before they do it to you. But the guiding principle in all these statements is what? You. Is yourself. You're still living your life as, as you are the center. Hence why we have marriage conflict, why we have a parent and children conflict, and conflict at work, and conflict in politics, and so on and so forth, because we put ourselves in the center. And we love others as is they're loving us back in return, or what I can get. You see, in other words, you and I are actually set free from sin and selfish pursuits that's what you and I were enslaved to that's what happened to the first marriage conflict when Eve took the apple or whatever it might have been and gave to Adam and they were both guilty they were both in shame look here at Romans chapter 13 8 through 10 I believe it's on the monitor Paul commands us to owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, not covet. And any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. See, you and I could not do that. Christ could. But we could not do it. Even today, I would dare say, and I would challenge you, that you love your spouse, your girlfriend or boyfriend, you love your children selfishly many times. Most likely most times. Because that's how we are hardwired. And the Bible is that changing that thinking, is changing that way of believing. We love ourselves and we seek out our good. Now God is calling us to seek out others just as much as you seek out your own happiness, prosperity, and safety. Believers, we're to live out the love of God when we serve others. Others then seek God's love. Now, not just to those that are lovely, not to those that just love us. The Bible says the world does that. If I love you, you love me in return. That's just natural. However, the Bible has called us to love those who are unloving to those that are hateful and spiteful to us. Now, that changes our politics right there and then. That changes Twitter. Twitter ceases to exist. How would that change if just those who profess Christ lived that out in all areas and all facets other lives. When Paul writes that the Old Testament law is fulfilled, he means that Christ in his perfect obedience fulfilled for us what we could not do. Paul is also pointing out that the moral law of Moses did not include every conceivable thing. So loving others is a good indicator to determine what is moral and or not. And see, so when you and I are sinning, You and I are sinning against God, but more times often than not, we are sinning against someone else. Our sin always involves someone else. In 1 Peter 4.8, Peter writes above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. If you and your spouse are struggling If you and your children are struggling, if you're struggling at work, if your neighbor or someone in your life you're struggling, love them. Not selfishly, but love them. That means surrendering your rights and your liberty. Surrendering the right to defend yourself. Just love them. That's what God has called us to do. The Bible tells us that when we were yet sinners, rebellious, disobedient children, haters of God, That's when he died for us. Not when we said, surrender God, okay, I stop. Will you now save me? No. Christ died for us when we hated him. That's how we're to love. That will transform your marriage. It will transform your relationships at work and in your family. But this love does not come from the flesh. You cannot conjure it up. I don't care how many Hallmark movies you watch. I don't care how much you do this and do that. You will not be able to love like this. We cannot produce this type of love. This love only comes from the Spirit of God. So how does one love? We find that answer in 1 Corinthians 13. It's there. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not assist on its own way. Does that cover honeydew lists, by the way? I'm not sure. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's not just a little marriage thing or something you throw in a card. This is how you and I are to live. And let me ask you, do you love like this? I fail most times. Because I myself am selfish. And that natural desire to serve myself by loving others so I can get what I want is so dominant in our natural hearts that we are gonna fight it until the day that Christ comes again. Love is patient, as we see here. That means love is tolerant. Love is mercy. That means love is tender. It's encouragement. It's love that is thoughtful thinking of others. It's obedience. It's love that trusts. And it's awful confrontational. One, we don't think of love, but love that is tough. Speaking the truth in love. But he goes on to say, let your uh, speech be so, uh, seasoned with that type of salt. Use words that are building up and that are edifying. Let me ask, how many times have you said something in the heat of the moment? And you wish you could take back. Can't, can you? Who said? Who was the dummy that said, "Sticks and stones might break my no, break my bones, but names will never hurt me"? What's hurt you more? A broken wrist, or that cutting remark by a parent, by a loved one, by a friend? It goes deep into the soul. And then you say, wait a second, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean to say it. What you really mean is that I didn't mean to say that out loud. Because you meant it. It was in your heart. Now, yes, under review, you would like to do a replay. You'd like to have that stricken from the record. But it doesn't work in someone else's heart. To prevent that from happening, we need to have our heart Changed. We need to live in the freedom of pursuing selfish desires and pursue love. And I don't know where I am. There we are. So ask this question of yourself. How can I serve, how can I love blank? How can I serve my wife in love? How can I serve my husband in love? How can I serve my children in love? How can I serve my boss in love? This is important. It's important because we go to the fourth observation. That's in verse 15. Because Paul gives a warning. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you yourself are not, what, consumed by one another. This aptly describes our political, religious, and cultural environment today, and it should not be so among God's people, especially among believers. We have seen already in Paul's many letters that the unity of believers is a big concern. He has pointed out that God is reconciling man, not only to himself, but reconciling man to man. Our freedom is not to cause dissension among the church. Most likely there have been factions in the churches of Galatia that were fighting over supporting Paul or the Judaizers. They were fighting over ideologies. They were fighting over philosophies and over truth. Unity, though, is the mark of true believers, a lack of love shows who is genuine and not. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, Paul is admonishing the Corinthian church believers and the infighting that's going on in the church of Corinth. He says, for in the first place, when you come together, speaking of, of this type of manner, and then mainly when they're coming to, to eat in communion. Back then they would eat a meal with communion. We, we do communion and then eat a meal. But he says, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And we're not talking about an aisle, but there were infighting among the church. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are not genuine among you may not be recognized. What is he saying? That a community of believers is a tough testing ground to live in love. You and I, if we are not loving, shows that we are not truly of God's children. Now, I'm not saying that you're not saved, but the mark of a believer is love, is freedom in serving others in love. And when we're unloving, we are not like our father. We are not like the son. And so you and I have this mirror. Am I working in love? Am I serving in love? Is it, is it reflecting Christ? Is it reflecting the image of the Father? James Four says the thing, same thing. but what causes these quarrels? What causes these fights among you? Well, is it not this? Is that your passions are at war within you, you're coming to church, and you're struggling between selfishness and selflessness? You're struggling in your own marriage? Your wife come, you come home from work and your wife starts to get your list and the first thing you want to do is I just want to sit down and do this and all of a sudden you can just feel the, the, the hair rise on the back of your neck and the claws start coming out Wolverine style. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? And you're thinking this is how life is and then you're just waiting and waiting and waiting until something, someone hits that trip wire and then it's all out war. It says you desire and you do not have. So you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. What is it that you cannot obtain? Your own way. Your own desire. It shows the selfishness and the unlovingness of our hearts. So how would others describe you? If I were able to get you and your your spouse together and I was able to, to ask her, hey, are they loving to you? Do they care for you if I were to ask your children and vice versa? If we were to do a performance review, does this person have the freedom to love others? Do they show that? How would you be described? Are you selfish or are you selfless? Are you loving or are you unloving in your interactions? And I'm not just talking about people, those you know and care about. How about the people that come up to you and accost you in the street? That person that's honking on you when you didn't pull out as soon as the light turned green. Now, I kind of have a special place for those people, too. But we're to love them. The person that cuts you off. The person that keeps that turn signal on forever. And you don't know what they're going to do. Do you love them? Do you care for them? Do you care for those and love those that are totally different and that are hostile to our faith? I pray that we be a church that will accept those as they come in. They have made different philosophies, different ways of life. They may look different. They may act different. But then we will embrace them and love them. But that also means confrontation. It also means giving the truth. For some reason, believers do not fall for this. And with this, I'll close. Do not believe that there is some type of mutual exclusion in which you cannot have doctrine and you cannot have love. Some say, choose this. You must either be doctrinal, true, and pure, or you must be loving. No. To love means to be doctrinal truth. How can you love without truth? And how can you have truth without love? They come together. Why? Because it's the essence of God. Can you split God up? No. So we're a church that stands for truth and love. Do we do it perfectly? No. I failed even this past week. I have seen ways in which I have failed and do that. And my first response sometimes is to get a little bit, okay, I got to defend myself, but then I just got to let that go down. I have no superpowers. I just need to surrender them. Let that shield go down and say, I love you. Forgive me. And there's times you must go and say, I need to rebuke you. Why? Because I love you and I care for you. And I don't want you to continue on that road. It will hurt you. It would cause you. What would you say to Adam and Eve as she was looking at that fruit? And if you were there, what would you say to them to change their mind? Or would you take a stick and just start beating her? What are you thinking, woman? Adam, what are you doing? Love. Let me end with this. I want to give you some applications Practically, but this is what you can do when you walk out of here. Do it. Start doing it right now. This is what you need to know. Everyone you come in contact is an opportunity to express God's love. It doesn't matter if it's a dash and dine, if it's your Uber driver, if it's the guy that's asking you for money and he stinks, or if it's someone that you just don't care about or whatever. Every one that you come in contact is an opportunity to express love. This is what you need to do here. Challenge yourself this week to esteem others better than yourself and deliberately treat them with that attitude in mind. Walk in there and say, that person, I'm going to serve that person and that's in my mind. I'm not going to judge them, prejudge them. I'm not going to deliberate. I'm going to deliberately say they're better than me and I'm going to treat them with respect, whether they deserve it or not. I'm going to love them. Why? Because this is what you and I are to be as children of God. We're to know these things, we're to do these things. And as children of God, we are to be, this should be our, our character. This should be our essence, is to be humble is to be humble in the face of God's great love for us. Anytime you come against someone that is difficult to love, whether it's a spouse, a child, a boss, a street person, remember this. Once, so were you in the eyes of God. Are you not glad that God looked at you with loving arms? love others. You have the freedom. You're not enslaved any longer. What is holding you back for knowing, doing, and being humble in the face of God's great love? Romans 12, uh, 9, and 10. It's here, I believe, should be on the monitor. He says, let love be genuine. Quit faking it. People can tell a fake. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love another another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You have your marching orders this week. Show the freedom that God has given you to serve others with love. Would you do so this morning? With every head bowed, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I want to just take a moment for you to pause, to consider the word of God and the exhortation that I've given you this morning. And to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, how would you want me to respond to your word this morning? In what way am I enslaved to my own selfish desires? I confess it. I repent of it. And Father, I commit this morning to loving blank with love. I want to serve them. Give me that opportunity. Would you make that this morning? For Father, we know that we are insufficient of these things, but you have called us to yourself. You have given us a freedom that is greater than any freedom that we may experience with any Bill of Rights, with any Declaration of Independence. Though we are thankful for all of those common graces that we receive in this country, and we should be willing to share that, Father, let us also see that there is something greater, a greater freedom to love others. And that may look so many different ways, Let us do so this this week. Lord, let us start this morning to serve others with the love that you've loved us. We thank you so much. We praise in Christ's name. Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you.